So uh, with that, let me pray for our time in the Word. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift of the Lord's Day. Father, it was a gift from creation, one day in seven, and your people Israel had it as a gift, although they often didn't appraise it as such. And, um, and now with the resurrection of Christ, his first coming, it's now the first day of the week, so that we come as your people to be encouraged as we wait for your son's return. So we ask that all the good things that you, you planned for this one day in seven would be ours this morning, particularly as we consider your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please turn to John's Gospel. Uh, and I'm going to be opening God's Word from John 1, 1 to 1, 3, but I'll read uh, to verse 5 as well. Oh, I'm sorry, please stand. Sorry. (laughs) All right, thank you, Rick. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Amen. Please be seated. After I heard Pastor Rick read Genesis 1, I think he goes into, into 2, uh, I, I, in some ways we could have just closed our mouths and we could have just meditated on that silently and, and worshiped the Lord. That wonderful, uh, spectacular uh, gift that God has given us of telling us of the created order that he's blessed us with. Um, what, a, what a majestic piece of scripture. And really, in some ways, we, we should take that and we should meditate upon it. It's a glorious reminder of God's goodness to us as man. His good creation, as Rick reminded us, he kept telling as he read through the passage. Uh, and that this goodness still is present today in the created order, that we still enjoy the good things that God has, has designed in the created order. This, this fall, I think, is the most glorious fall I've ever enjoyed. Uh, a while back, I had a, a lunch with a brother up who works up in the Baltimore area, and I was driving up the Baltimore-Washington Parkway with all the beautiful leaves and the, and the blue sky, and I was looking forward to my time with this brother. It's always a sweet time. But I was overwhelmed with joy at just the beauty of the leaves and the colors. It's like, this is God's good gift. It's just so good. Totally in line with Genesis 1. Totally in line with Genesis 1. And so we need to, to meditate upon those passages uh, that speaks of God's creation, that we might be reminded that, yes, even God's glory is shining through now, even today. Some of you probably, apart from the, your great desire to, to worship the Lord, want to be outside. It's just so beautiful. Now, I tend to like rain and clouds, believe it or not, but even in my old age, I just rejoice in the sunny days. I went out one day this past, uh, past week to have lunch at this one place, and I'm like, what is the temperature? It was 76 degrees with 26% humidity. And I'm just rejoicing. And I like the clouds. I like the rain. But it was like, man, this is really good. And so there's no surprise. There's no surprise. And the scripture, which always interprets reality for us, says it was, it was good. It was very good. And so there's no surprise that we still enjoy the good created order. But as I said, you know, I come today with a little bit of a heaviness. 
You know, my, my mother-in-law is a believer, and I've watched her decline over the years. She's been a dear mother-in-law. I'm probably a little bit heavier because of her, but that's okay. You know, she's a wonderful cook. But we come with a sadness. And I, as, I, as I looked at my mother-in-law's decline, there would be times where we would take care of her. She would come to our house, but it just got to the place where it was just better for her. She was so disoriented. It was, almost, it was just unkind for her to come to our house. But I remember sitting with her, and she liked to listen to the morning news, which often was a waste of time. But um, I, I was watching here, and I, I thought, this is, this is because of the fall. Her, her decline is the result of Adam's rebellion and disobedience. That sin and corruption and death came into the world because of our forefathers' first sin. And it really endeared me, in some sense, more to her, I thought. This is her, her inability to think and her confusion. Her, her measure of chaos is due to the fall. And I thought, what a glorious thing that our God would come into the world. That he would leave glory as we just sang. Glory, a place that we've never experienced the perfection of what that is like in full measure. Like I said, we do enjoy these good things, but not without some measure of anxiety. Without some measure of discomfort. But perfect shalom that our Savior would come from heaven. He would leave that, and we'll get into this in a minute. And for our sakes, because of our sin, because of the ruin we've brought on the created order. And so in these three verses, I I just want us to consider this morning in the opening of John's Gospel that he puts before our eyes, he puts before our eyes the pre-incarnate attributes of Christ. He puts this before our eyes in his Gospel for our faith. For the strengthening of our faith, he brings before our eyes the pre-incarnate attributes of Christ for our faith. And I want to look at this under just two points. First, that Christ was God yet distinct. And second, Christ's involvement in creation. First, Christ was God yet distinct. And secondly, Christ's involvement in creation. So first, Christ was God yet distinct. In verses 1 to 2, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You know, the, uh, the Gospel of Mark starts off with the life of John the Baptist. The Gospel of Luke starts off with the life of John the Baptist's parents. And Matthew's Gospel starts off with a genealogy starting with Abraham going to Christ. And yet, John, in a sense, blows it out of the water here when he, he gives us this majestic picture of who the Messiah was this Messiah who came to to earth, that he was in the beginning. All those glorious things that we read, that we heard from Rick, from the scriptures, he was there. He was there in the beginning. He was there in the beginning as the word, as the one who, who would, the created order would come through, would be spoken through and come into being. And the word affirms that he was God. He was God. Now that might seem like a small thing, but it's so important for us to, to, to slow down in, in, in a, a world that's got so many voices, so many voices coming to us all the time. If I go to the grocery store at night and there's music playing, I'm going to have a hard time sleeping because that song's going to be stuck in my head. You know, it's so hard. I even pray at times, Lord, please stop, 
stop these songs in my head so I can focus. But we need to, we need to stop and think about this so much. Jesus was with God and he was God. Yes, he was the God-man in time, but he was God. He was the one who created this incredible world. And again, it's part of the, the reason for that is just to meditate on have awe and wonder at this glorious being. But we also see that he was with God and he was God. And here we see a beginning of the formulation of the Trinity, the three persons in the Godhead. How many persons are there in the Godhead? There are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory, You know, as our, our confession affirms. And, and we see that this, uh, this great being was God himself. And there's a sense in which we just need to to stop and give him that glory, even before, <laughs> even before we get to the incarnation and, and redemption. One writer says, this is a bomb of meaning, of meaning that this, this, this Messiah that John is putting before our eyes was God. He was not just a man. He was not just a worldly hero. But he was God himself, along with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Now, I... I've had different titles for this uh, sermon. I've actually, this is the second or third time I've preached it. It changes because there's more things in Scripture that are obviously driving this, uh, this passage. But uh, one of them was, is this a divine resume, a background check? You know, I, I, recently I had to get a, a background check at our church. We, you know, all of our leaders and those who work with children had to get background checks. And I hadn't had one in a while. And, um, you know, I'm okay, so I'm, I'm good. Uh, just let you know that. I was a teacher for a long time. Every year we had that, and, uh, uh, but I had to get one for our church as well. But it, it says something about the person as, as they come to you. And John puts before our eyes, he, he wants us to know who this, this person is. That before the foundation of the world he was. You know, foundation so important. I went up to New York after the Twin Towers had been destroyed. And as he started to rebuild, how deep they would go. That the foundation of our salvation is before the foundation of the worlds. It flows out of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we need to ask, and the other title I had this time is The Forgotten Spurgeon. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> The Forgotten Christ, which I was thinking of this Forgotten Spurgeon, a book that's written about Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher. And uh, because there were so many ideas floating around about him, somebody wrote a book to try to set the record straight. And so the Apostle John sets the record straight for us. And this is for our faith. This is one of the tenets of our faith that, that Jesus was with God and he was God. He was there in the beginning. But that, that raises the question, why do we need to know this? Why is this so important? Well, first of all, and this is an application, it's because if we don't take this into consideration, we rob him of his glory in some sense. We rob him of his glory in some sense. We, we forget what he left to come and save us. That glorious, wonderful bliss in heaven. You know, we prayed the Lord's prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That perfect obedience in heaven. That perfect joy, that perfect shalom that he had with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. You know, I want to encourage you to stay and hear Matthew because... 
RUF International is so similar to what Jesus has done for us. You know, looking out for those, you know, taking into consideration those who are in a, a difficult situation. You know, I'm sure Matthew could do something else for a living. He probably did at one point. But he sees what a glorious ministry opportunity this is. And he's willing to lay aside those other opportunities. He might do this. But we really rob Christ of his glory if we don't remember that he was God. His high stature, his high bliss, his high joy, that he might come to earth to save us. The Apostle John will give us examples as he goes through his gospel uh, later on. But particularly in John 13, we see the foot washing. He's, he's, at the, he's at this dinner, a place of honor. And he lays his outer garments aside. He takes the form of a servant. He washes their feet. He washes their feet, that lowly, lowly task. God of creation. <laughs> Just take that and think about it later on today. The God of creation. And then he puts his garments back on and resumes his place of honor. This is the life of our our great Savior. Glory, initial glory with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Humility for a time. And then greater glory in some sense. I can't even explain it. He he goes back as as the, uh, the Savior of mankind. And so we see that picture in the, the foot washing in John 13. We see it too in the, in the story of Job. We really don't understand the story of Job until Christ comes and sheds light on it. What is this whole point about an innocent man suffering? Job was an incredibly glorious man, a godly man, not sinless, not like our Lord. Our Lord was higher. But man, I would love to have the <laughs> reputation that Job had. <laughs> what a wonderful Servant of God, what a wonderful father, how he was concerned about his children. But then for a time he was brought low by God, and he suffered. And the question is, can a righteous man suffer? He wasn't sinless, but he knew there was no sin that was bringing this suffering upon himself. And, And his friends, who really didn't help much, they say, you must have sinned because you're suffering. That's the way it works. And yet in the end, Job is is vindicated. He never cursed God, even though his wife even said, curse God and die. And what do we see? We see his glory from the beginning, brought low for a time, and then beyond his previous glory, everything doubled. (laughs) His possessions doubled. This glorious picture of the end of his life. So much like our Savior, who leaves glory, A glory higher than Job's goes to a place lower than Job's. He suffered too. I think that whole expanded time in the book of Job is there for us to start to begin to understand Christ's suffering for us in this world. As one who was perfect, who had no sin, to be in a sinful world and to to bear the effects of living in a sinful world in a particular manner. I think that's why we read chapter after chapter of his suffering. You know, the whole time he's saying these things, he's in pain. And he's, he's in pain physically. He's in pain. He's in anguish mentally. It's like, what's going on? I don't understand this. And then he's vindicated. And then he's vindicated. And he's raised to the right hand of the Father where he is now. He's there right now. 
on our behalf. And so we, we want to know these things because it's part of his glory. It's part of his glory. If you looked at the verse at the, uh, at the top of the hymn we sang earlier, Thou who is rich beyond all measure, it was 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. If we didn't know about that earlier part, it would, just, it, it would, it would almost take away half his glory. But Paul lays that in front of his hearers in, in Philippians. As Paul is in jail. What a, what a pastor. <laughs> He's concerned about his parishioners. And he writes this, as he wants to encourage them in the Lord. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, and he brings Christ before their eyes, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Isn't it amazing? When I get my glory, I don't want to lose, I don't want to let go of it. You know, I don't get that much anyhow, but man, when I get it, I want to hold on to it. But no, not Christ. Not Christ, who had glory way beyond any human glory. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This amazing obedience he had to the Father, the amazing faithfulness he had to the Father, he wanted to do just the Father's will. He knew it was going to be difficult. So when he's in the garden, he says, Father, is there some other way? Please, but I want to do your will. And he did it to the last breath. He did it to the last breath. And God didn't come to him in a whirlwind like he did to Job. You know, you remember the questioning that God gave Job? Were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? And Job's like, no, I wasn't. But see, if, he, if the father had asked that to Jesus, he said, Father, you know I was there. I was with you there in the beginning. All things were made through, through me and for me. And that's just a place to stop there. Why, why, why the silence? Because he who knew no sin became our sin. That wonderful fellowship that he had for all eternity and even in the flesh. You know, Jesus would stop sometimes. He'd say, Father, I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the benefit of those around me. You ever stop to ponder that? that you know, I don't know if you ever come upon somebody, you're walking on one side of this you know, street, another person, and you, you don't know whether to say hi to them or not. And they start talking. You go, oh, hey. And you realize they have earbuds in. They're not, they're not even listening to me, you know. But Jesus, he didn't have earbuds, but he was always in fellowship with the Father. I, I can't even, I mean, I'm trying to just un, understand this. It's almost incomprehensible. He was always in perfect unity with the Father. Always doing the Father's will. Every thought, every affection, every movement in perfect conformity with the Father. And yet on the cross, he gets silence. Because he left glory to pay for our sins, to bear our, bur- our, our penalty, 
And so a second application is we needed an impeccable sacrifice. There was no man after Adam, after Adam's fall, that could suffice for the penalty that we owed. You could look all around the world, not one. Many godly men, yes, like Job, but not one who was impeccable with no spot or blemish. And we needed a holy high priest. The priests of the Old Testament, the letter letter to the Hebrews points this out, they, they didn't serve forever, they died and they were corruptible. They had to pay for their, they had to offer sacrifices for their sins before they could do their job. But not Christ, he had no sin. So in the letter to the Hebrews in verse 7, 26, it says, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. You know, you know what it's like to live in this world, this sinful world. It's hard even as a believer not to be tainted. And yet there was no taintedness in Christ at all. And so we needed a Savior. We had no hope, and God sends His Son And he takes on human flesh. Another application is because of Jesus' perfect union with the Father, we're assured that his purpose will be accomplished. He will not lose one for whom he has died. He cannot. He's doing the Father's will. The Father desires for Christ to have a people for himself. And he does it exactly according to the Holy Script. I won't have time because we have limited time today, but go, down, go back to Isaiah 53. God always gives a heads up in His Word about the future. Even at the fall, He says, In the day that you eat of this, you will surely die. And here we are. But He also tells about the glorious redemption in Christ. And Isaiah 53 is one of the most glorious pictures. He will see His offspring. <laughs> he will see His offspring. Because God has accomplished this work. You know, my mother-in-law is a believer, and I don't even know, she doesn't even know who my wife is or my, my sister-in-law are. But she's in Christ's hand. <laughs> the work will be finished. You know, she may go out not knowing who she is. But when she comes to Christ, when she gets to glory, it's like, ah, you know? And so we have full confidence because Christ is God as well as Father is God, and the Holy Spirit is God, and they all work together for our salvation, and nobody will thwart their hand. Nobody will thwart their hand. So you need to know this. One last side thing is, you know, in Luke's Gospel in chapter 24, that glorious passage, twice Jesus preaches himself from the Old Testament. I think, I I didn't Google map this yet, how long it took to walk. (laughs) I think it's like a seven-hour message where Jesus preaches himself from the Old Testament. And so all of of the Old Testament is pointing to this this glorious Messiah. And so we have great encouragement and great hope. Not because of us, not because of us, but because of Christ and his goodness in sending and coming on our behalf. And so we need to give God the glory, and particularly give God the Son his glory, that he left heaven for us. And laid his glory aside in some sense for a while. You know, even at the time, we didn't see it. But he died and rose again. He's at the right hand of the Father right now. So that's the first point. The the second will be shorter. So first, Christ was God, yet distinct. Second, Christ's involvement in creation, verse 3. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And this verse here has particularly struck me over the last couple months. Um, you, you know, sometimes you're reading through scripture, and it's like, what? That's really, what is, let me think about this. Let me think about this passage. All things were made through him and for him. And we're not even talking about redemption yet. We're talking about the created order. That this beautiful world that we have ultimately was for Christ, was made through Christ and for Christ. So that means that all mankind at the creation were made through Christ and for Christ. The good institution of marriage, the good institution of work, the good institution of worship was through Christ and for Christ. That's the, that was the norm that God had established, that good norm. And yet we live in a world of chaos where even the good created gifts are brought into question now. And, and to hear that all things were made through him and for him, that all along Christ was the rightful owner. He was always the rightful focal point of all the created order, the, the beautiful leaves, the beautiful trees, the beautiful flowers, all pointing to Christ, all for his, made through him and for him, but us particularly as man. And so after the fall, what a horrible, horrible situation, what a catastrophe, that this wonderful good creation, this good, good creation, had now been tainted with sin and corruption. But that's not the way it always was. And we see it, we see it in the world, people trying to, to, to push that square peg into a round hole to try to do things that were out of the created order. And yet it's to be reminded to go back to creation, that that's the pattern we're to follow now in Christ. That marriage is good and there's privileges in marriage that are only meant for marriage. That work is good. That worship is glorious. That we're still called one day out of seven to come and be before the Lord. And so as a believer, just to, to be reminded to, to keep looking at the scriptures, he, we, we see what pleases God so clearly in Genesis 1. And so after the chaos, and God comes and by his grace he allows us to, to come to faith in Christ and to believe in him, our lives start to have more order. I've been a Christian for almost 48 years and still the order is happening. Secondly, when I get up in the morning, usually I'm like, okay, Steve, what do you want to do today? It's about you, Steve. What do you want to do, Steve? It's like, no, 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 no. Steve, you were not made for yourself. You weren't made to be autonomous. You were made through Christ and for Christ. And now, in redemption, that, that purpose comes to a glorious uh, new beginning. They were made to live for Christ that all the gifts and talents and experiences that we've been privileged are for his glory now. And that's such a, a help. You know, I just see how much I'm full of myself, and I should be full of Christ. That I'm just a small part of the created order, but a glorious, loved part of the created order. Another application is so much, we have so much anxiety because we try to take on what, what's God's responsibility and not ours. And so we're way down with anxiety. We bear burdens that Christ says, don't do that. Today's, just focus on today. Let's get through the day. If I give you tomorrow, okay. All right? <laughs> you know? And I have found so much joy 
glorious joy just doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, just fulfilling my little part. And this makes, this makes some of the, the words of Christ so much more rational. I mean, they're always rational. Christ is never wrong, right? <laughs> Christ is never wrong. But I think of some of the things he says, John 15, 1 to 5. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he do, that does uh, bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. (laughs) Isn't that a glorious reality? We can do zero, nothing. And yet once we're united to Christ, things start to change. And we start to do exactly what God wants us to do. And we love it. And it's delightful. And it's joyful. And it leads to glory. Or this incredible call that Christ has in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28-30. Come to me, all who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. There may be some right here today that have like dislocated joints or their backs are not right. And they go to chiropractors. You want to get it back in alignment. And the fall has done that. It has made us uncomfortable. Part of our sorrow is that we've been out of sync with our God. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In a sense, there's no surprise because God is perfect. And in Christ, he brings us back to our rightful purpose that will never be changed and will be made perfect in glory, not deified, but made holy and share in Christ's glory. And so wherever you find yourself today, if you're Christ, the best is yet to come. If you're in pain emotionally or uh, physically, it's going to be over. You know, we have a, a dear brother in our church who's, who's probably close to death. He knew two or three years ago he'd die. And one of the ways he might die is by choking. And um, I've, I've gone to see him over a period of time. And uh, he's not getting out of bed now. And um, it's been really hard to see that. You know, if you had said, what are, what are like three ways you never want to die? One of them would be choking. And yet it's interesting, Christ, part of his crucifixion was choking, was suffocating on behalf of his people. But I've thought about, you know, when, when the Lord takes this brother home, wow, what a difference. <laughs> Today you'll be with me in paradise. No more suffering. You know, it's been a long, prolonged journey for him and his wife. But it'll be over shortly. And this Lord's Day, we're one week closer than we were last week. One week closer. And we need to take that to heart too. We're getting close to the finish line. We want to finish well by God's grace. We want to finish well. But this also presents, it's a great encouragement for believers, but also presents a great warning for unbelievers. If all things were made through him and for him, All things are accountable to him. And if you're outside of Christ, you do have a relationship with Christ. I remember Palmer Robertson reminding me of this. Back in the day when I was a younger man, many years ago, 
We say, oh, he doesn't have a relationship with God, or she doesn't have a relationship with God. And Palmer said, no, they do have one. They have one as a covenant breaker, a covenant breaker in Adam. And outside of Christ, you will bear your own sins. And yet today is the day of salvation. So if there be anybody who hears my voice, Christ holds out his hand. Come to me, you are heavy laden, heavy laden with guilt, facing the wrath of God. That even today you can be brought into the kingdom and he'll give you a new heart and he'll give you new ears and new eyes. You become a child of God. You'll never leave the grasp of the, of the son or the father. And he'll bring you to eternity to be with him forever. And yet there's, we're not to presume. You know, Friday I had lunch with my brother Mark and wonderful day and later things changed. You know, maybe by the time I get done this service, my mother-in-law may have passed into glory. We can't presume on how much time we have. We don't know how much time. And so even today, Christ holds out this gracious offering. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, Father, your word is so unlike the word of man. It's not it's, it's, it's faithful, it's true, it's life-giving. And we ask, Father, that these words that we have heard from your scriptures would, would bring life to us, that as we ponder what we've heard today, whether it's Genesis 1 and 2 or, or John's Gospel or the other verses, that they would bear good fruit by your Spirit, that we might be encouraged as your people and built up in our most holy faith, conformed to the image of your Son, and that maybe you might be pleased even today to bring someone to the Savior that they might be transferred from death to life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.